the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host, Joe. Well, hello. I'm excited today. We're talking about habits. All the habits. What, what, what My cocaine habit? <laughs> All the habits. <laughs> I don't have a cocaine habit. Well, we're going to talk about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which is up there in my top 10 books. I've read it a couple times now. Yeah, yeah, that one. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about the BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits. We're coming up on the new year. Time rolls around when everybody's habits lax over the holidays. And then in January, we're like, all right, I got to get my crap in gear. And most people think if I just got my habits in line, then I could do boom, fill in the blank. Have my have that six pack or whatever. Exactly. As we go through some of these things, I want to ask you as a personal trainer and trained hundreds, if not thousand people, do these tips hold water? Do they make sense in, in the real world? I think there's some points in both of these that we're bringing up today and, and others that do have some good merit. And then I think others are unrealistic for the long term. Yeah. And again, what we always focus on, what's sustainable. But these particular ones that we're discussing today, I thought do a good job of trying to figure out what's realistic for the long term. Yeah. So in Atomic Habits, the one of the premises of the book is if this idea of small incremental improvements over time yield big results. So I've heard him say in different talks that he's given and whatnot, I don't remember if it was in the book, but basically if you get 1% better a day for a year, then at the end of that year, you're 37 times better yeah. than you were. And conversely, if you got 1% worse, you're basically down to zero. <laughs> right, exactly. One of the analogies in the book, Atomic Habits, talked about one of the European cycling teams had just bombed it year after year. They had a new coach come in and he just started making very small 1% incremental improvements, whether it be how clean the bike is, just 1% better rest, 1% better food. I mean, they ended up going from never wanting anything ever to couple of years in a row, doing really well, winning some gold medals in the Olympics. So that sounds like it lines up with what I hear you say often on this show is make a better decision. Like you don't have to be perfect, make a better decision. Do you think that type of approach or that is sustainable? I, I know we can't get 1% better every day for the rest of our lives. Our lives are not an upward bar chart to the right. I know mine hasn't been. <laughs> no, it never works that way. But I think, yeah, I think it really does work. Because uh, if let's say you're going to eat exactly 1400 calories and you're only going to have 300 carbs and on right. calories of carbs. Pe people can't do that. You're in different situations. You're not always in control of your food, but if we get into a habit of just making the best decision with what's available, or if you're going to go a little bit off track, you can get the corn syrup free marshmallow instead of the regular marshmallow if you're going to do s'mores. Yeah. And I like if you make it about the math, like he was saying, 1% better a day, perfect score for a year is 30 times better. So even if you were batting like six out of 10 in your decision making, six times out of 10, you're making good decisions. Four times you're getting 1% worse you're still making a gigantic gain that year. Absolutely. Three or four times better, actually. Yeah, so let's talk about the different strategies, and we could compare and contrast the, these two methodologies. With tiny habits, there was a really cool method he had. So first he would say the goal or whatever, the large picture thing may be an aspiration. So for instance, let's lose weight. That's huge. That's not very... 
uh, defined, right? So that's your aspiration. So then we want to explore behavior options. We want to come up with a list of what are the behaviors that would be super effective regardless of whether or not you'd be motivated to do them. So first, just effectiveness. So exercise would be great. Getting better sleep would be great. So list all these things. And then once you have them, you can put them on note cards or you can do it on paper. Then you're going to pretend there's a grid. And first, you're going to line them up top to bottom with top being the most effective, again, regardless of motivation or likelihood of doing it. Then after you've done that, you're going to then left to right on the grid, you'll start shifting them from left would be least likely to do it because it requires a ton of motivation and stars to align and right, almost no motivation, definitely going to do it. So what you end up doing is you have four quadrants. And if you look at that top right quadrant, that averages out to the habits that you're most likely to do because they require the least amount of motivation and they're highly effective. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a neat way um, to think about it. A bit of the path of least resistance. You know you, and you know what you're not likely to do. So if you're like least likely to wake up and try to run six miles, don't pretend like that's the path for success for you. And then also, what are the different steps and things that involve to get you there? So for instance, if going to the gym, for instance, was one of your things, but in order to go to the gym, your calendar has to be clear, work things can't come up, you didn't then have to get in your car, you'd have to drive, you'd have to come back. There's so many different things that can demotivate right. you. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's too broad of a thing to start with. You want to pick something a little bit simpler that there's not all these things that can get in the way if you're just starting out. So for instance, I don't know, eating a good breakfast. That doesn't require you getting in your car. It's not likely that meetings are going to interfere with that. So think through your habits that way. To compare and contrast then, James Clear in Atomic Habits seems to be of the mindset that you can't rely on motivation. So you just kind of got to throw that out the window and he has a four-step process, but basically it boils down to the idea that if you could take the idea of motivation out of it, because any habit that is going to produce long-term results is going to take longer than two minutes. But his point is that you can start a habit in two minutes, so focus on starting. What can you do to make that the focus? He's got four steps into creating a good habit. First, make it obvious, and he's got a thing we could talk through, then make it attractive, then make it easy, and then make it satisfying. I think they share a lot of the same principles, it sounds like. Yeah, he actually brings up BJ Fogg's method, too, mm -hmm. and they both went into detail on a starter habit. So that might be, that'd be fun to talk about. So for instance, let's say your habit you want to work on is making breakfast. Mm -hmm. uh, BJ Fogg actually had one of his clients go to the stove, turn on the pilot, stare at it for 20 seconds, and turn it back off. So she may not be motivated to cook breakfast, but it doesn't really take motivation to do that. Yeah. And that's the starter habit. And I think James Clearhead, I think he used uh, the idea of brushing your teeth often in his book. What is it that gets in the way of that? And so the first thing, I think maybe this is a different book, but just like baby steps to getting towards the habit, make it ridiculously easy. Here's another example that I know he said. <laughs> if you want to get in the habit of reading before bed, leave that book on your pillow so that it's right there when you come to bed that yeah. night. So then you just start doing it. And then that his first law there, make it obvious. So if you wanted to increase something, you shouldn't have to work to get to it. For instance, I know that having a nighttime sleepy time tea or something like that helps me get better sleep. Mm -hmm. But if it's tucked away in the back of my pantry and I have to move stuff, 
it's, it's probably not going to happen. And it's a bit out of sight, out of mind. It's not that we're that lazy. It's I, just that we just might completely forget yeah. about it. But if it's out on the counter, I go, oh, yeah, sleepy time tea. Yeah, so that idea of making it obvious, he goes into a lot of detail on that. And I remember that being like, oh, man, that's pretty good. But he talked about designing your environment. Make the cues of good habits obvious and visible. Almost like you, so it's really just pre-production. Like I, I do a lot of stuff in the tech world. What he's really making a case for is just do good pre-production. Like if this is how you want your day to go, come up with a plan. And what he calls a plan, and I think it's a good it's a good starting point, is you can't just say, I want to do this thing. You have to say when, where, and how, and that's your plan. So if it's, I want to have sleepy time tea, it's when. I want to have it before I go to bed. Where? Put the thing there so that you can put yourself in that place. And then how? And just you map yeah. it all out so it takes the... There's no extra thinking involved, and then that that takes out the that dependency on motivation. Because I think that's where we get ourselves in trouble. If I was motivated to work out, I'd work out more. Yeah, but we can't rely on that. I can't. I think it's uh, B.J. Fogger re- refers to as the motivation monkey. Yeah, and uh, the motivation monkey is very unreliable. Yeah. So we have to find habits that don't require motivation in order for them to be long term, at least as starter habits. Yeah. And then, so the, the second step in James Clear's Atomic Habits is to make it attractive. And so he's saying, pair your action. And I like that. I think he called it like habit pairing. Like a habit that you already have, pair the habit that you want to start with that habit. So if it's, man, I really want to start, we'll go back to brushing the teeth. I want to start flossing. Then every time you brush your teeth, try to pair that habit with flossing. Yeah. Because you're already there. Yeah. You're already in tooth care mode. Yeah. Or, or this might even be more of the obvious side versus the attractive. But and then the other book he mentions wanted to start doing push-ups, and every time he pees, he does two push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you flush the toilet. That's the trigger to start your push-ups. Yeah. Um, well, he also mentioned creating a motivational rule, which is something that you enjoy immediately after a difficult habit. So basically, like a tiny reward system. Like I did the thing. Now I get this. Yeah. And both of them uh, had that. But what I thought was interesting was they differentiated between a reward and an incentive. So an incentive is after the fact and not as strong of a correlator with the habit. So if I complete a marathon, then I'm going to go to Disney World mm-hmm. versus uh, more reward base, which is instant gratif- or instant reward during that moment so that your brain wires those things together. Even if it's a mental whoopee, or, or whatever it is after you've done the thing, whatever the thing is. And it's funny because that's the same way you train dogs. So if you punish a dog more than 30 seconds after they did the thing you didn't want them to do, they don't connect it. Yeah. They don't know why they're being punished. It has to be right that second. Same thing with the reward-based. And so basically, if you're trying to rewire your brain to the to have positive associations with the habit that you're trying to do, it's more beneficial to do the reward immediately. So, Brandon, as a personal trainer, what do you think are some good mental rewards that people can give themselves after, say, working out? Like, I did it, I worked out, now what's the positive reward? Yeah, for a lot of people, their favorite stretch, oh, the stretch feels so good. As soon as I get done with my workout, I can do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients like a specific foam roller drill that opens up the shoulder and the thoracic area and just allows them to relax. Kind of like Savasana at the end of a yoga class. Everybody loves sitting, hanging out and taking a nap. So that could be something. It could be just a mental thing. It could be if you're keeping up with your progress, checking off a box, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be huge. Do people, do you find people find success using things like a reward, like a shake or something that they really like or something like that? That could be, absolutely. As long as it's pretty quick, close to the time you finish, so the brain gets that connection. Probably not a shamrock shake. 
<laughs> oh, is that what's that? Arby's or something? The, the McDonald's one, yeah. <laughs> no one comes out at March. No, I don't think we always want your uh, reward to enhance the habit, not not destroy it, uh, which I used to do that. I used to, in college, I'd work out and go, man, I deserve Arby's. So I'd go get like curly fries, a giant roast beef sandwich, and a Dr. Pepper and go, why aren't I losing weight? But no. So that's another good point is make sure that the reward enhances the habit, doesn't detract from yeah. it. So I think going back to that pre-production idea, if that's the thing, make sure that you have everything you need for that mini reward after the habit that you're trying to do before you start the habit so you don't miss that window. Exactly. Then the third law for James Clear is, is he calls it making it easy. So he gets into things like reducing friction. So he gives tips like on how to decrease the number of steps between you and your good habits making uh, sure you prime your environment, he says, preparing the environment to make your future actions easier, master the decisive moment, optimize the small choices that deliver the outsized impact, and use the two-minute rule, which is downscale your habits until they can be done in two minutes or less. So the, the thing I remember from the book about that was like, say it's working out in the morning, and he used the example of somebody that lives in an apartment downtown. Well, there's a lot of steps to get to the gym to work out. You've got to, one, set your alarm, wake up, get ready, put on your gym clothes, put on your shoes, go to the cab, get to the gym, and then start your workout. And so what he's trying to get at here is focus on the things that start the habit that'll get you past the point of no return. So in that case, working out can really be as simple as making sure you get up, put on your shoes, and hail a cab. Because you can do that in two minutes, and you're not likely to then bail on the whole thing and be like, I changed my mind, take me to Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it could even be just uh, before you even go that far, what's a, what's something you could do in your bedroom? You don't even have to get dressed. Yeah. You know, do a two-minute Tabata round or something instead of a full four-minute. It could be all body weight exercise. Take equipment out of the equation. Yeah, I think it's anything that kind of gets you in the mindset of starting the habit that you want to accomplish. Exactly. Exactly. So does that mean that you would recommend that people that when they're getting ready to get go work out or go to the gym, let's say they go to a gym or a personal trainer, that to start that process, they do a little warm-up before they even get going? It's not a bad idea. In fact, my warm-up I have all my clients do is two minutes, and it's just two minutes on the rower or two minutes of a balance exercise just to get them ready to go in yeah. their mindset. I think it just gets your – it just prepares you mentally for like, all right, I've started. Yeah. We rarely ever – I know I don't, so I can't speak to this. not a scientific thing. But I know for me, rarely ever do I start a workout and then, eh, <laughs> Yeah. You know? uh, now, I do want to make one clarification. When we're talking about these two-minute starter habits, that doesn't mean you can't try and do the whole thing. Still try and go to the gym, but just don't determine success yeah. on that quite yet. Success is whether or not you do the starter habit. I think that's what stood out to me from that James Clear book. And one of the reasons why I think I liked it so much was... That reward thing that we're saying, like I did it, the check the box, what you get to focus on is that two-minute thing, which feels a lot easier than, it feels a lot easier for unmotivated me sitting on the couch getting ready to decide if he's going to go work out to do the two-minute routine that gets me into it than to do the hour routine. <laughs> exactly. So to summarize the last couple minutes uh, here, boil down whatever your starter habit is to something so simple that requires no motivation to make sure it happens. Yeah, and that's the key. No motivation. So in the example of getting to the gym, it's not a lot of motivation to put your shoes on and hail a cab. Yeah. 
Whereas it takes what feels like a lot of motivation to say, all right, I'm going to the gym and I'm working out for an hour and I'm doing this and this and this. Yeah, absolutely. So the fourth step, so he has in James Clear's book, it was make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy. The fourth law was make it satisfying using reinforcement. We talked about this a little bit. Make doing nothing enjoyable when avoiding a bad habit. Design a way to see the benefits by using a habit tracker and never miss it twice. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point. So, because you're rarely going to be 100%. And so many people go, oh, nah, screwed up. That's it. I quit. Like they're trying to have a, a, not have a cheat day. Then they have a cheat day. And then they go, oh, I'll just cheat till New Year's. Right. <laughs> silly. But, but give yourself at least a little bit of leniency, but not so much that it's open-ended. So don't miss And if twice. you follow that rule, like we were talking about before, like 1% better a day. If you never miss twice, yep. you're clearing the threshold. You know what I'm saying? You're on the path to being better. If you miss twice, you're on the path to being worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So at least you're neutral if you just miss once. Yeah. Um, you didn't get worse. You didn't get better, but you haven't lost ground. Yeah. And I know we can all, we can all certainly empathize with the idea of if you miss once, you miss twice and how fast two weeks can fly by. Oh yeah. Three weeks, four weeks and getting out of the habit of anything, whether it's like Something simple, making your bed, reading a book, exercise and working out, emotionally connecting with your spouse. It's really easy to just let time fly by yeah. when you're not, when you miss more than once. Yeah. Yeah. One, one I started doing, apparently I need to break it down to something simpler, but I wanted to do my business taxes at the end of each month. Mm -hmm. And I did that for six months Then I missed once and then I missed the entire quarter. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to do all Q3 all at once and that yeah, so, sucked. So that's a crazy important thing. And it's, it's one of those things where it's a super obvious, but it's a kind of a commitment that you can make to yourself, right? Like I'm not going to miss more than once. Cause it's so much easier to just look back at one month and figure out what my expenses were. But if I have to think three months back and look through bank statements, right. my brain wanted to explode and it takes Four times as long. So as a trainer, like I've noticed, like if I have to cancel because of something or whatever, you are not easy to let me off the hook. And so do you notice that when you're training people, if they miss more than once, is it like compounding? Usually I lose them as a client within a few weeks. If they miss more than once, that habit's gone away, that association, that momentum. Darren Hardy talks a lot about his friend Mo i.e. Uh, momentum. Mm -hmm. And once that's lost, it's tough to get back because once they're out of the habit, their mindset's gone. They just lose that motivation. Yeah. Uh, so I've had a lot of clients where after the second cancellation, I know it's probably well, the other shoe's going to drop pretty soon. Yeah. And I know we talked a little bit at the top about not depending on motivation to get you doing the right thing. But I think this more is a conversation about understanding how motivation works and not letting it crush you. Because <laughs> right. if you lose it, yeah. it's really tough to get it back. If you do miss, try and figure out what is a good alternative. When I had a super crazy schedule at Lifetime, uh, I wouldn't always have a full hour to work out. So maybe I'd have 10 minutes. So I would just increase the intensity and change the exercises. Yeah. Or if I only had a certain amount of time before my next client and, I, and there was somebody else using the equipment I needed, I would make a compromise. It's so, back to making a better decision. Right. So if you, if you miss a workout and you don't have time to go to the gym or whatever, find something you can do right where you're at, or maybe do a, a less involved workout or do something body weight or find a way to make up for it somewhere, just like balancing a budget. Yeah. So if, if you've budgeted a hundred dollars for uh, groceries and you spent 120, 
then maybe you look at, okay, the movie budget, let's not go to a movie because we spent more on food and you balance it. You can do the same thing with habits. Have you ever felt like you were just throwing weights around like an idiot at the gym, hoping to see some results? Or after weeks or months of working out, notice that the scale just isn't moving? You wouldn't cook without a recipe. So why would you train or start a weight loss program like the Swedish chef randomly throwing ingredients into a pot? You need a sustainable plan that's science-based and attainable. Fire Within has worked with thousands of clients and helped them reach their goals. So visit firewithinnf.com today. Get yourself the free ebook, read the testimonials, and choose a service that works for you. Choose from services like one-on-one nutrition coaching, one-on-one personal training, and more. Again, that's firewithinnf.com. And I think it goes back to that point again of not missing twice in that if, it's, if it takes X amount of motivation to go work out, and, you, and you've got in that habit, basically you're decreasing the amount of motivation it takes to go work out next time because you're developing a habit. You go into a bit of a mode where you're on autopilot. Like, I'm going to work out. Today's the day I work out. And it doesn't take as much motivation as it does next time. But it feels like you miss once. It's like the clock wants to restart. There's something in our nature that pushes real hard to be like, this is going to be really hard. We shouldn't even do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. A lot of the people I work with, once they have that first miss, they're just done. Like when they bring in their nutrition journals, that would happen quite, you know, I did really good on Monday and Tuesday, then I missed Wednesday, and then I just fell off track. That's a good sign. Maybe we need to back off that goal and figure out something uh, a little bit more attainable. Uh, One client, she'll, she'll make a goal, and every week it's, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. It's not a good goal. That requires way too much of stars aligning for that to happen on a consistent basis. Yeah. So we'll try and figure out and regress and find something that is achievable that we can build on. So does that mean that our goal setting should be more focused on, and I've heard James Clear talk about this in a speech before, less focused on the outcome. Let's say it's weight loss is the goal. So the goal should be less focused on losing 70 pounds yeah. and more focused on the 1% change that yeah. you can do today. Yeah, or the system. I think something he brought up a lot was it's there's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with your system for attaining those goals. So just focus on, just like you said, that small habit that we're working on, not the overall. One of my uh, friends has a, a sticker on a board, and it's the doctor from my 600-pound life. Did you lose 30 pounds this month? That's <laughs> what it says. And so don't worry so much about that. Is Did you do the things that need to be in place to start that? The importance of that is because you can control those things and you don't get to have the kind of control over the outcome because it's not immediate. We're just not wired that way. Like we can't just instantly blink and hit our goal weight and hit our whatever. We, but what we can do today is focus on that 1% growth. Absolutely. And so back to this idea of like attainable goals or whatever, like when somebody starts working with you as a personal trainer, what kind of goals do you think, oh no, we have to redo those? And how do you handle that? <laughs> I want to lose 40 pounds by my wedding and yeah. it's three months away. Now, some people could do that, but if you're in the middle of a wedding, you got a lot of planning, all kinds of trips, you're cake tasting, you're doing bridal showers, and you have all these things that could get in the way. You get all added stress, which isn't great. Right. Oh, tons of added stress. And so cramming all that within three months and trying to, to lose, I would consider that a lot of weight in three months because typically we want one to two pounds a week. Yeah. I and mean, that's almost double that pace. 
which can be done. I've had people do it, but we just want to make sure that the goals are realistic based to the time they have and everything else going on. And what does their past success and commitment look like as well? So what's a realistic timeline then for somebody that wants to lose 40 pounds, let's say? If it's one to two pounds a week, that's yeah, that's eight. So ten to twenty weeks. That's eight pounds a month. So eight, sixteen, twenty-four, thirty-two, forty-five months. And plus, there's going to be some ebb and flow. Also, you're going to add some muscle while you're training properly and eating better. Yeah. So it can't all be about weight, right? Um, like can't if that's your goal. But you just need to understand as your body changes shape, you're going to be. Uh-uh adding weight and muscle, maybe looking better. Like it really just, that depends on what it is you're searching for. I think that's one of the biggest detractors that makes people give up is they're just looking at weight because you're going to put on four to six pounds of muscle in the first couple of weeks, typically, if you've been inactive previously. That's such an important point because I know that a lot of people do that when they diet, it's all about the scale. So what kind of advice can you give people about their relationship with the scale when starting to work out for the first time? I wouldn't hop on more than once a week and just use it as feedback, not as whether or not you've succeeded or not. It's only Is that because in your experience that people misinterpret the information on the scale? So like what you were just saying, if you don't know that you're going to gain four to six pounds of muscle and that you should expect healthily to lose one to two pounds a week of fat of so, fat and so you're there's weeks that are going to go by where you're trading <laughs> yeah and it looks like you did nothing and you're working really scale. hard and the scale's not moving yeah but if you could like what if, what would be an accurate measurement is this like bmi is this the shape of your body is it measurements not bmi i don't think that's great really if you don't have access to a really expensive scale or like dexa and things like that you should also be looking at tone you should be looking at their clothes fitting better can you see more muscle definition do you have more energy mm-hmm. things are is, is sleep quality improving all those types of things as well that can be a slippery slope too if you're focusing on how you feel and you're constantly sore because you've never worked <laughs> out before how do you feel i feel like I should be losing more weight. <laughs> That's a good point too. And then something else to consider is sometimes it takes a long time for a hormonal shift to happen. So if you're hormonally in a state where uh, you're rapidly storing fat and insulin's not operating correctly, it could take a while for that ship to turn around. Yeah. And I think in the theme of the show today, like you've got to think of your weight loss journey as that 1% a day, slightly better. I, I like to play this one game on my phone. I got addicted to it like two years ago or three years ago. Maybe it's been longer than that. But it's like one of those fighting games where every day you get a small little advantage. And if you play every day for four years, now my characters are pretty good. But if I miss like a week, then I, I lose momentum, etc. And those games can be really frustrating to people. But in my opinion, it's that's kind of more like how life really works. Like you don't just get good at anything (laughs) like in the first week or you don't beat the game or achieve the goal in six hours of play. It's just not the way life works. Yeah. No, I think there's some truth to that. So think about all the different categories that are needed to achieve that overarching aspiration of losing weight. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes a lot of time before it affects the scale. Yeah, because it could be there's a hormonal imbalance. There could be you're going through a stressful season in your life right now or a job change or something that's just going to, yeah, it's going to wear on you. It's going to take time. It's going to worry you. Yeah. Uh, the hormonal balance could be causing sleep issues. It could be, there could be a ton of different things that have to line up before you're on paper. The recommended, you should just be peeling a week, uh, a pound or a pound or so a week. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that, yeah, that's considering there's no major hormonal blockages. And a lot of people have stuff going on that would impede that. Yeah. Even if they're exercising right, eating right, it, it could take some time. And it really depends on where you're starting from, too. If you if you have the consequences of your actions, have you starting a little bit further back than somebody else on their health journey, you should, you should understand that it's going to take a little bit of time before you start to see. Yeah. Just stay consistent with those small habits and build on them and and over time, it will happen. Yeah. Maybe not on your timeline, but if you stay consistent, it will grow. Yeah, we talked about this before, and it just feels like the exact opposite of what you hear in marketing ploys because we're very consumer-driven and everything's like, take this pill, get shredded. Do this 30-day workout, get shredded. <laughs> uh, the reality is the people that are shredded are people that have been investing in the habits that it takes to get there, in most cases, what would you say, years? Oh, yeah. It's certainly not a 30-day program. Now, you should see a difference, I'm sure, but you're not going to look like Sean T after doing one bout of insanity. But you will get, like we're saying, you'll get momentum. You'll see a difference, and you'll feel like this is working. Exactly. For a lot of us, we have very unrealistic expectations. And even though, even I, from a knowledge standpoint, know better, but then if I work out really hard for a couple of weeks, I'll look at the mirror a little bit frustrated. Like, why? Where's the results? I worked out really hard these last two weeks. <laughs> you know what you mean? You know what yeah. I mean? We just expect, we expect a different set of, of results than we see. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about, instead of creating a habit, breaking a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Mr. Clear refers to these as inversions, and he says the first inversion, because they're inversions of the other laws for making a habit, says make it invisible. Um, so reduce exposure to it. Remove the cues. You know, in church, they used to talk about eye bouncing for lust. Yeah. <laughs> like, hot woman, bounce your eyes. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. But just reducing your exposure to it. So that's knowing your environment. Like, I know right. I cannot go to a buffet. I'm still a fat kid inside in many respects. And if I go to a buffet, this happens every single time. I get one of everything. I go back for another plate of everything I really liked. Right. And, and then I go back for like ancillaries and soup. And then I go back a fourth time for dessert. And every, it doesn't matter where I go. Could be going corral, could be Chinese buffet, doesn't matter. I just don't go to buffets. And for me, here's another example of talking about a good decision, better decision, et cetera, is if I go one way to work, that passes a McDonald's, I'm much more likely to stop and get a sausage McMuffin <laughs> than if I go the other way to work where I don't pass the McDonald's. Exactly. And the decision, honestly, like what path I choose is usually based on if I feel like a sausage McMuffin. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that habit, I think that works really great for things that aren't like serious. I don't think that applies for like serious addiction stuff. You know what I'm saying? I think it's more like, Little habits that you can start really easily. This is a great tool for that. Reduce the exposure, remove the cues uh, from your environment. Yeah. One of the ones in the book was funny because I do the same thing. They don't have a TV plugged in. So if they want to watch TV, they have to go to the closet, take it out, plug it up. And so they're going to watch a lot less TV, which gives them more productive hours of the day. Right. So I don't have a TV plugged up either. Although I finally relented and there's one in the bedroom now. But that could even be as simple as not keeping the remote right by you so that you'd have to get out of bed to right. make a decision to watch TV. Yeah. Yeah. When you fall asleep at night to the TV, throw the remote. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There you go. And the next uh, inversion that he says is make it unattractive. And so this revolves involves 
reframing your mindset to think about the benefits of avoiding the good habit, or the bad habit, yeah. instead of the the just satisfaction of the bad habit itself. For for instance, if you want to go to a McDonald's or whatever um, and get that sausage McMuffin, just think about the progress you have made. It could be your checklist or whatever and see. So if you skip that, you, you get to keep that progress. You get to stay feeling good. And those are the things you want to think about, not the deliciousness of the greasy fake food <laughs> and corn syrup, no doubt. And then the third inversion is making it difficult. So he goes into the process of saying, here's how you, he calls it, increase the friction between increasing the number of steps between you and your bad habits. So this is, this makes me think of, cause it's almost Christmas time, that movie home alone. Like you're basically setting like little booby traps around the house to keep the little robbers or the bad habits from getting easily between the rooms. Exactly. But so anything you can do to make something more difficult. So let's say, I don't know, maybe you really like grating Parmesan cheese onto your food and you're trying to go dairy free or something. So you could put the cheese grater underneath the potato masher that always gets the drawer stuck. So <laughs> you don't want to deal with that nonsense. So yeah, screw it. I'm going to leave the cheese off. And then he also talked about using a commitment device. Oh yeah. Something that shuts your Wi-Fi off after so many hours of social media or something like that. Yeah. iPhones now have a social media tractor, uh, tracker and um, it'll tell you when you've used up whatever you set it to. Yeah, it's in the screen time settings if you're using iPhone. We just started using it for my daughters. We cut, we put a limit on some of their favorite apps per day so that they could, one, start to gain an understanding of how much time they're spending on these apps. Yeah. And two, just really, like you said, it's a commitment device. It's right. like, all right, that's over. Now it's time to read. Now yep. it's time to do something else. Something productive with your life. Something else that's Outside not Outside of this. Candy Crush. <laughs> For my kids, it's TikTok. Oh, God. (laughs) And then that fourth inversion, make it unsatisfying. I really got a chuckle out of his example of, I can't remember what the guy did, but he made it so if he slept in, he would have a Twitter auto kick out that goes, I slept in because I'm lazy. First five people that respond, I will PayPal you $5. I thought it was flipping hysterical. So he was trying to break the bad habit of sleeping in. Right. And hitting that snooze. So some sort of accountability system that makes it unsatisfying to do the bad thing. And that could be as simple as asking somebody, hey man, keep me honest. So once a week, ask me about this thing. And then it could be just the embarrassment of having to tell the person that you didn't do it again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, So to sum a lot of what we talked about today, we think most habits are unrealistic without the use of motivation. So we want to boil it down to something smaller, focus on that starter habit in the system and increase by 1% a day. Your four James Clear habits were to, or ways to create a habit was to make the good thing obvious. We want to make it attractive and create some sort of celebration with it, make it easy and make it satisfying. And then to go back to BJ Fogg, I really liked that activity where you take some index cards, whatever the thing is you want to start doing, let's say you get to bed early or have better sleep quality, you would write down 10 to 25 actionable items that could help with that. First, you write 25 or however many down, regardless of motivation, just is this helpful? Is it not? 
And then you're going to put them top to bottom in order of most helpful to least helpful. After you've done that access, then you're going to move them left to right. Left is requires a lot of motivation and not likely to happen. And to the right is going to be requires very little motivation and it's much easier to accomplish. And then once you've done that, section off that right quadrant of the grid. Those are the habits you want to start with. Yeah. And then for breaking bad habits, you want to make it invisible, try and remove it from your environment the best you can. Then you want to make it unattractive, reframe your mindset of how doing the bad thing is unattractive, make it difficult. So hiding the remote, for instance, and then make it unsatisfying and have some sort of accountability system. I think these are all great approaches. As we're coming up on Thanksgiving, it's good to just recap and remind ourselves about that not missing twice. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Have a great dinner. Yeah, I'm going to eat all kinds of garbage. You heard (laughs) it here first, folks. But then on Black Friday, you probably don't need to eat Thanksgiving again. Again, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or just take the turkey. Maybe leave stuffing out. I don't know. Or just do such a good job of eating it on Thanksgiving Day. There's there's nothing left. Yeah. Um, Said an auto-tweet. I ate stuffing again. (laughs) 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 I hope you guys got some good information out of this. Highly recommend those two books. One was James Clear, Atomic Habits. The other is BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits. And then I also like Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect. I think we've brought that up on the show too. I think that's good. Yeah, it feels like the second piece of the equation, right? If you were to do, this is what you can expect. And that's highly motivating. Yeah. And and the, between the two of us, we've read a lot of, of productivity books. But I think we both agreed that these are some really good ones uh, to start with. And speaking of less motivation, if you had to pick one, I'd say the Atomic Habits because it's half the length of the Tiny Habits. <laughs> so I think, Ironic. Tiny Habits is yeah. long. <laughs> Uh, Now, Tiny Habits does have some bonus chapters online that tell you how to apply it specific to parenting and another one specific to running a business. And so that might be of interest to some of you guys. I know some of my clients are small business owners too. Let me ask you this. In regards to the idea of making beginning a habit easy, what would you say is the two-minute starter habit for somebody that's currently not working out to getting a personal trainer and taking their taking it seriously. Yeah, what can you do in two minutes to get started? Well, you go to firewithinnf.com and you can sign up for your starting consultation. We'll get you started. But if you'd like to talk to me on the phone first and just get a feel for things, I'm happy to do that as well. 919-285-8906. And that can be like the equivalent of putting on your shoes and starting the process. Just make it really easy. Absolutely. And I got a shiny new website thanks to, to Joe. Yeah, it's cool. Much appreciated. So check it out. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.